Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I'm here with Heather Osby. For those of you who do not know her, we co-created the Pregnant Athlete Training Program, both the at-home version and the full program for training during exercise. We kind of did the thinking and the modifying and the adjustments for you through the program. So that's how we originally kind of came together. And now she works in the business in the marketing realm. So today we're going to talk a lot about how to adjust your training during pregnancy. And basically, if you know nothing else about training during pregnancy and your exercise choices during pregnancy, at least know these things. So Heather, thanks for being here. I'm always excited to be back on the podcast. Yeah, she's been on quite a few times. Um, We've kind of grown up in this realm together. Heather has three little girls. I have two little boys, a lot of differences, but honestly, a lot of similarities of experiencing pregnancy and postpartum around the same time frames before there was such an abundance of information. Like where we are now in 2023 is so incredibly different than when we were having babies in what year was that? 2013. First 20, yeah. So like that was our first eye-opening experience was back in 2013 to just the significant lack of information, resources, credibility, and honestly, just like a lot of really dismissive information that came from a lot of doctors or practitioners who didn't get CrossFitters or people that wanted to be really active. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the prime be a badass. Yes. Era. Era. Yes. It was our our be a badass era in CrossFit. It was like, don't, you don't need to adjust your exercise during pregnancy. You were made for this and be Mm -hmm. a badass. And if you work out really hard during pregnancy, you're going to bounce back so fast and have such an easy delivery. That was the only kind of messaging we heard. Yeah. It was like, you're going to have a super fast labor. You're going to bounce right back. You know, you can still deadlift 300 pounds. I mean, I was 41 weeks pregnant and jumping rope in my first pregnancy because I was like, I'm going to like get this baby out one way or the other, which I knew nothing really back then. Um, So (laughs) it's almost embarrassing now at this point to look back and see some of the choices that I made. Yeah. So your thing was jumping rope to get the baby out. And my thing was I'm going to squat the same squat set every week throughout my entire pregnancy. I must do five sets of five back squats at 155 pounds. And like, that's kind of a lot. Like now, like back then I didn't feel like that was a lot of weight, Mm -hmm. but we're going to get into this in the episode. Maybe it's not like, maybe it wasn't heavy for me then. But that's still a ton of weight 
yeah, on the body, especially a pregnant body and pelvic floor and core system to have to absorb that kind of load. Yeah. And I remember the first time you said that when you were like, okay, so your pelvic floor is already holding the load of like your normal body. And then you have baby and fluid and placenta on top of that. And then you just take 155 pounds and you put it on top of that, whether or not that you hold your breath and get as much tension and bracing as possible. And it's like, but we didn't, that wasn't, there was a zero level of awareness then around diastasis, pelvic organ prolapse, incontinence, or anything like that. There was no, there was no risk conversation. There was only reward conversation. Totally. Reward was more like ego based and not really founded on a guarantee of specific outcome of like, oh, improved this, improved that. Like we know back then and still, we've always known that exercise is good for mom and baby during pregnancy. It is good. It is safe. Where the research has always lacked and continues to lack, yes, we're doing something about it, um, is it does not look at how exercise during pregnancy and postpartum influences the psychology, the core and pelvic health physiology, and long-term athletic performance of female athletes. That is where there is a significant disconnect in determining what is right or safe. Yes, we're doing something about that. And we don't have anything other than the work that we're doing that is helping really move that needle forward in messaging and information, et cetera. Yeah. And I think when you're in it, right. And you're maybe not even exposed yet, or you're starting to get exposed to some of this information you're in it and you're alone in your CrossFit gym and you're looking at a workout and you're like, all you have to evaluate is like, that's not heavy for me mm-hmm. three weeks ago or three months ago or whatever it was. Right. And so you get just really laser focused in on this one thing and you have to be able to kind of start to just go wider and look at the whole picture. Like where do you want to be in one year, in five years and not get stuck on like right now? Totally. And like in a perfect world, we hope that there's coaches that can help guide that conversation in reality back then. And still there's a lot of coaches that are like, uh, just like listen to your body, keep doing what feels right. And, um, yeah. Like you're going to, again, you're going to bounce back. You're so strong. You're such a badass. Like you're so fit and that's fine. Like that's, it's good to be an encouraging coach and to say that. And I'd, I'd love to live in a world where coaches can say like, Hey, it might be time to modify. And I know you feel really good and we can still keep kind of doing a similar movement pattern, but based on where you're at in pregnancy or some of the symptoms that you're saying that you're having, like, why don't we make some of these adjustments? Just like we would if we had a client who had back pain or knee pain or was recovering from an injury or surgery. Like we have a great toolbox of options to keep our athletes in the gym and moving and making progress, but also scaling back when necessary. And pregnancy is a time where you're kind of deloading efforts over time. And it doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be um, limiting, but at the same time, it does have to be intelligent. And I think that is where coaches have a significant um, opportunity, but they either don't have the skill set, they don't have those particular tools, or they're almost maybe afraid of offering that input because they want to give their athlete the autonomy. And I think we can find a world where both can coexist. 
Yeah. I mean, really framing the conversation around like, it's not just today. It's not just today's workout. Like let's think mm-hmm. long-term, let's think big picture here. That still enables a level of autonomy for your client, but also gets them out of this. Like, I just want to keep up with the class kind of mentality that they might be stuck in. And sometimes, right. sometimes yeah. athletes just need that permission to be like, oh yeah, actually like it can be really hard to give that to yourself. Right. And like hearing it from a coach is so much more, um, it's just easier to accept because you know, it's coming from a place of being like looking out for you beyond what you can see and know right now. But there is such a culture of comparison, whether it's comparing to the girl that you used to lift the same as, or finish the same as in a workout, or that you're able to run as fast of or run fast with in whatever kind of exercise setting um, there's comparison there. There's comparison to somebody else who may be pregnant or somebody who was pregnant a year prior and you were comparing to what they're doing. I think that culture of comparison for a lot of pregnant athletes is is so hard because that is the bar that's there that they're comparing to rather than creating their own bar. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're so used to that being the thing that drives you, right, is I have to run as fast as she does. And maybe not in pregnancy, that is a healthy level of competition for you that like keeps you pushing. But like to turn that off in pregnancy because this person isn't pregnant and you are, it's a lot, it's tough. You know, it requires a level of awareness. Right. And I think people listening to this are either like, Like I assume that they're all kind of like athlete brain where they get it, where other people are like, are you serious? Like, it's fine. You can just chill a little bit, you know, like, so we still do see two ends of the pendulum of like the extreme wanting to push it, not modify not wanting to give up the things that you really love that you really enjoy. Um, But then you see the other side, which is still a lot of limiting beliefs around don't lift this, don't do that. A lot of fear around don't get your heart rate over X, Y, or Z. And like a lot of that information is really outdated, really Mm -hmm. outdated. Like there was the, um, don't get your heart rate over 140 beats per minute. And like that, remember when we were creating the coach course, like we found the research that was like over 20 years outdated or something like that. Yeah. I actually have it right in front of me because I have, we knew we were going to bring it up. (laughs) Well, yeah, I have a whole post on it because it's so fascinating because it was in 1985 that the ACOG um, had this guideline of like, keep your heart rate under 140 beats per minute. And it didn't even stay in place for 10 years. It was less than 10 years. But today, a recent survey, this was like a couple of years ago, they did a survey and 62% of OBs are still recommending it. So like, it's wild that we had this guideline in place for, you know, that's older than I am. am. That's crazy. And then 62% of OBs, it's like, we're just repeating it. Right. And so um, the article was really interesting because it's like we have to find ways to reach the OBs that can help them see that actually that isn't the guideline anymore. And my um, like hope in this <laughs> effort is like OBs get connected with pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches in your communities. We are showing up everywhere and help bridge that gap between like the medical side of things and then with the practitioner world. And now we're in the application world as coaches helping people train through these seasons. That's the perfect world that I would like to live in for improving women's health. But it is crazy that that is still a recommendation. And for those of you who are like, okay, so then like, what is the number? There is no number. There is no number. Do we suggest pushing it, going like balls to the wall all out during pregnancy? No. 
no, there's like fatigue. There are levels of pushing it that just, I wouldn't recommend for reasons that extend far beyond just, you know, like don't get your heart rate high. It's just more of like, well, why are you wanting to push that hard? You can still get your heart rate up. You can still push things, but it doesn't have to be the point of exhaustion. So you can go off of like RPE or the talk test or just like, you know, you know how to still get in a good workout without having to like cross that line. If you are a intuitive athlete, which if you're listening to this podcast, you're taking interest in this. I already believe that you're an intuitive athlete. You know, that line, you know, the line, and that's not measured by a certain level of output. So just uh, keep that in mind. And I think a lot of people are afraid of laying on your back during pregnancy. So we suggest that's more of a discomfort thing at this point. Um, So being at an incline can be really helpful. Um, Taking, if you're used to like bench pressing, well, like do like an incline bench press and you're still getting a lot of the same benefits, similar stimulus, just different way of doing it. Yeah. And can we circle back to the OB thing? Because one thing that I think you do really well is have conversations with practitioners. And Mm -hmm. so if, if there was an athlete whose doctor did say that, like in the meeting, how would you advise having that conversation with them right there? If we know that that's actually not what the guideline says, but maybe our OB is not well informed there. How would you, how would you recommend that conversation go? If it's a client that I'm working with and they already kind of know me, then I would just tell them like, look, that, that is outdated advice. It's not always the OB's like role to know all of the information around exercise physiology and any updates that we have for pre and postnatal fitness, best practices. That's my job though. And here's what I can advise you to do. I won't encourage you to do anything that you're not comfortable with. So if you don't want to get your heart rate over 140 beats per minute and you want to really monitor that, that's fine. Again, that's that autonomy, but it's also like coaches have a great opportunity to provide high levels of education to our female athletes during these seasons that will set them up honestly for every single season to come. Like that's what I love so much about the work this brand was doing that I couldn't, I just couldn't see early on when, you know, when I started this was pregnancy and postpartum. These are important conversations to have for female athletes because they act as a catalyst for their lifetime of athleticism, for perimenopause, menopause, changes to their body, surgeries that they may may need to have by choice or circumstance. Having this level of body awareness and understanding in ways that a lot of people don't know what their pelvic floor is until they're until they're symptomatic postpartum. We do not know a lot about our bodies. And if we really want to reach our full potential as female athletes and have as good of a quality of life and quantity of life as possible, we have to do a better job of understanding our bodies and pregnancy and postpartum act as a significant eye-opening experience and opportunity to do just that. Yeah. That's great advice. (laughs) And that, that is all guys. We're done for the, we're done with the episode. Well, no, I just, it, it can be such a confusing conversation, right? If you are from a coach perspective, if you know, right, what the guideline says and, but your client shows up and they're like, but my doctor says, and being able to navigate that conversation in a way that isn't dismissive of their doctor, right. But also is honoring like what, what the evidence does say, what you know, to be true as a coach. And so I think sometimes from hearing from you, how those conversations can go, can help people find their own way. 
to, right. And like, to be super clear before anyone gets mad, like when a doctor, you know, and there is contraindications to exercise early on, like there might be clampsia or something like that. Like there are medical, um, contraindications to exercise coaches need to honor that and help oh, our yeah. athletes wrap their head around what that means and say yeah. like, Hey, like you're on pelvic rest or you're on this, whatever it might be. That is hard. And that's where we have to really lean into our emotional intelligence as coaches not be dismissive of what their doctor said. We have to support them and know like, God, I know it really sucks that you feel so limited in what you can do right now. Let maybe we can figure something out with your doctor to figure out like, what are the actual parameters? And if this is truly a season where you step away from exercise in your normal ways, how can I support you through that? And knowing like this sucks and it's, it's, it is so temporary. And this does not mean that you are sidelined forever. This does not mean that you won't be able to do you'll run a seven minute mile again, or do muscle ups at CrossFit or deadlift 300 pounds. Like this season does not determine what the rest of your life of athletic performance looks like. It just doesn't. And you got to be uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. I mean, I can just remember in my third pregnancy being so uncomfortable with all of that, with the not performing at the level that I wanted to perform at, like feeling like some of it slipping away. And yet I knew like intelligently that it wasn't. And, you know, some days you have days where it's hard and remembering that it's not forever, you know, is really key. Like you're not going to lose your progress. If fitness is part of your identity, it's going to maintain, it's going to be a part of your identity as you move through these seasons. Right. And like that identity and how you express your fitness and what you do, like it might look different. It might change, but it was always a part of you. If you want it to be a part of you, like that's like, there's a huge piece of that. You're not going to lose that part of yourself, but it will evolve with you. And you just got to get like scrappy with that scrappy with embracing that scrappy with figuring out what that actually looks like. And that is this messy middle conversation and why you will never (laughs) hear me say that this is the best way to exercise. This is the right way to exercise. If you do these six exercises during pregnancy, we're going to prevent all of the different symptoms. Or if you do these eight exercises postpartum, we're going to heal your diastasis and heal your incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. That is not how it works. It's not, I wish, but there are things that we can do really proactively. Then there are things that we can do the other side to kind of like manage what experiences um, and symptoms that our athletes may be having. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to uh, stop and discuss for a second here, because as short form video is getting more and more popular, TikTok, Reels, all of that, we are seeing so much more like do these six exercises in pregnancy for an easy birth, you know, and to that prepare. So home, mad. I know. Well, and then, you know, we get our friends that are texting us and being like, should I be doing these? And you're like, no, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like maybe. Right. But it's not like, okay. cheap. like there's no what there's no answer. Th- that's great marketing. I'm a marketer. I'll tell you, those are that's great marketing videos right there. But are they in like the integrity of, of actually getting you the result that you want? No, because right. nothing's foolproof. There's so many variables that we don't get to control in pregnancy, like the birth. And, you know, it, that sucks, right? I'm like a type A control freak. I want, I had a birth plan. It was front and back. It was laminated, you know, it, none of it happened. So yeah. that's, you know, 
which I think is like most people's story, but yet we're still like, I don't know. It's still such a common practice. And I think that the key to like having a really quote, good pregnancy and birth and postpartum is being going into it with like the most adaptable, flexible, and open-minded mindset as possible, which is literally the hardest thing ever. Again, all of us control freaks, type A's, certain Enneagrams that have a really hard time relinquishing any control, being told what to do, having things not go to plan, um, really hard. But I think the more grace you can give yourself and open-mindedness to just like adapt where you need to adapt, adjust this, change your mind here. Like, honestly, welcome to motherhood. That's yeah. the, that is what you have to adjust to quickly anyway. And the harder you resist it, the harder your experience is going to be. And take that from somebody who um, learned that quite the hard way for at least two, like until Cade was 18 months old, probably of yeah. just resisting change, resisting all of it, trying to fit him into like trying, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I tried so hard to hold on to my own agenda that I did not adapt to my actual reality. Yeah, same. But mine, I was able to hold on a little longer. I held on until my second was born. And then it was the combination of the two that I realized I could no longer do that. I could no longer maintain that level of control in my way. And so then it triggered like a full on like mental breakdown, but yeah. you know. Mental breakdown, um, just birthing a whole new identity, you know, like we just change. And that's why, like, again, your exercise and your training and what that looks like for you will evolve with you. And you just got to allow for seasons of less, seasons of more, seasons of grace and seasons to just kind of redefine what exercise looks like for you, what your body and what healthy looks like for you right now, knowing that it's not a permanent thing. It's just seasonal. So one of the things in the pregnant athlete that we talk about a lot is controlling what you can and surrendering to the rest. So let's take a minute to talk about some of the things that we can control, because I think we mentioned some of the contraindications earlier, but hit us with some of the things we can control, the things that we should be focusing on in pregnancy. I think one of the first things, and I know that no one likes to hear it, but it's true and it will serve you dividends forever and ever, is like, checking your athlete brain and just being like really in tune with it and knowing just because I can doesn't mean I necessarily should right now or like, what is the risk of this? What is the reward? Am I ready? Am I not ready? And being able to have like check-ins with yourself and something that I still like to do in for different reasons in my life now is like, um, I try to check in with like the higher, (laughs) what's the word, like the higher version of myself, like the more enlightened, smarter, wiser version of myself, not just like the ego, um, eager person in the moment is like, well, what would she tell me right now? Mm. Like, what would she tell me? What would the older, wiser person tell me right now? And just having that check-in <laughs> again, I still, I have to do that all the time still. Um, it, cause athlete brain never dies. It just looks different at different times for different reasons. So checking in with that voice, the voice that we've been trained to ignore is a really good one to check in with throughout pregnancy and then get used to that because you have to kind of leverage your athlete brain and learn what I like to call um, athletic maturity 
And within that, there is, you can still have discipline, right? Like as athletes, we're just naturally disciplined humans, but you have to have a lot of adaptable discipline in order to navigate pregnancy in a way that I feel truly respects and honors all of your different needs. The changes that your brain and identity and um, interests, all of that, it's experiencing. And then physiologically, the changes to your core and pelvic floor, just as the baby grows, your abs have to accommodate for it. Your pelvic floor has to absorb the weight of the baby and organs and placenta. Things are shifting and moving around. It changes your center of gravity. So your exercise and positions and loads, like they are going to have to get adapted. Um, And then the long-term athletic performance, like maybe you could run all through pregnancy, but if you're having a lot of pelvic pain or just doesn't feel right, or maybe you're starting to leak, is it worth it to keep pushing through and running? Like, no, that is a clear sign that your body is like, hey, this something has got to change. We're either running less volume, we're incorporating more walking, we're changing and just doing incline, or you know what, we're walking, or you know what, we're doing nothing. We're not doing any form of that kind of cardio anymore. We're pausing that, we're putting it out of the table. We will come back to that later. And that again is certain level of taking into perspective the long game of like if I want to run when I'm a mom, when I have this baby, then I don't need to push boundaries right now. And saying with like lifting. If I want to be lifting really heavy after I have this baby, then I don't need to push boundaries right now where I'm causing a lot of extra stress and potential harm to my abs and pelvic floor if I'm not really adjusting how I'm breathing or my bracing or my positioning. Things I talk about a lot with the PNP principle in the coaching certification. It's adjusting breath, pressure, tension, position, um, and movement, and being able to integrate a lot of that into our athletic practices to make sure we are kind of honoring all those things, the psychology behind our choices, um, the physiology, how our training affects core and pelvic floor changes throughout pregnancy, and then what are implications on long-term athletic performance. These are things we can't control. We cannot control all symptoms. We cannot control all experiences, birth experiences, postpartum experiences. But I think during pregnancy, we have an opportunity to be extremely proactive with making a lot of adjustments to what we're doing and how we're doing it. Yeah. And I think just to like put a fine point on that, one of the ways that I like to think about it is with the risk versus reward. I think you really clarified that really well. And the follow-up question that I always would ask myself is, and can I get that stimulus in another way? Mm -hmm. So like that, if it's running, right, and the risk to pelvic floor based on where I'm at in pregnancy, like it just feels like too much, but I could get that stimulus by doing 30 seconds of kettlebell swings or, you know, a minute on the rower or the skier or something like that. So trying to just find other ways because it doesn't have to be, you know, one-to-one substitutions, just finding other ways to get a similar stimulus. Right. No, absolutely. And then it allows you to become a better athlete too. I think that's what I love working with professional athletes too, because they're, they're so open. Like my MMA athletes, for example, they're like, I'm not training MMA through my pregnancy. I might do some aspects of that training, but for the most part now it's my opportunity to become a stronger athlete, work on the things that I kind of ignore a lot of the time. I'm really focused on getting like stronger and not necessarily the weight going up, but you're just consistently lifting like you get stronger, even if it's not super heavy. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to explore new ways of getting in cardio or new ways of lifting, new ways of focusing on training your body that, you know, just are different, maybe more complementary to what your body needs right now. Yeah. 
Well, let's switch gears and talk for a second about breathing. Cause I think from an athlete perspective, what we see a lot is nobody's breathing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Oh wait, I need to focus on this. Cause it's a lot easier to just hold your breath than, you know, grind it out. So what's, what do you like for an easy breath strategy, like to start integrating inside pregnancy? Yeah, I think when in doubt, we, our our natural tendency is to kind of hold our breath, whether I'm bending down to pick something up off the floor or I'm deadlifting 300 pounds, we're probably just going to like breath hold and brace. And we just create a lot of extra tension and pressure in our core canister. So that's out on the midline, but also a breath hold goes down into the pelvic floor. We're creating intra-abdominal pressure, which is not a problem, but it can contribute to more experiences I've um, symptoms during seasons like pregnancy and postpartum where things are different. Our anatomy is different. Things are shifting and changing and we don't need to add excess pressure to a system that is already very pressurized right now and already has a lot of stress and strain on it. When in doubt, you just kind of want to exhale more often and just be more conscious of that. So when I am picking something up, like a little exhale, if I'm squatting, I can inhale down, exhale up, or maybe an exhale through that full range of motion actually feels better because when you exhale or like basic breathing 101, um, on inhale, the diaphragm descends and the pelvic floor has to expand and lengthen to accommodate for that descent. And then the abs relax too. So basically your belly should let go inhale. Everything lets go and, uh, and there's less tension there. And then on exhale, there's engagement of the pelvic floor in response to co-contraction with that diaphragm. And that creates a little bit more tension on that core system. And that can provide feelings of more support to the abdominal wall, to that midline and to the pelvic floor. So again, on inhale, everything lengthens, abs, pelvic floor, everything kind of relaxes. And then on exhale, it shortens. And there's that co-contraction of the pelvic floor, which provides support from the bottom and the midline. So you can put your hands on your stomach and try a couple of those breaths. I think that, again, that's just really good body awareness to have, whether you're pregnant, postpartum, or years before or years after that. It's just good basic body awareness 101 and knowing during certain seasons, if you're symptomatic um, or if you're really trying to be cognizant of managing symptoms through pregnancy and postpartum, being able to coordinate some of that breathing with movement. So again, if it's a squat, it might be an inhale down, everything is lengthening. And on when you return up out of the bottom of the squat, it's that exhale. And then you get that almost boost from the bottom, that co-contraction of the pelvic floor and diaphragm. I know I'm getting a little nerdy here as you come up. <laughs> People are like, what? Um, but that can be integrated into a lot of different movements and manipulating breath to support people's symptoms, experiences, pain, discomfort, all of that, like breath can really be leveraged to improve their experience. Yeah. And I hear, you know, from people like, but I can't count my reps and breathe at the same time. It's like too hard. Yeah. And I think it gets easier, right? Like the goal is that you don't have to think it through so in depth every time, but you get, it gets better with practice, you right. know, and so when in doubt, like, don't think about your pelvic floor. Like, I just want you to think about like breathing, like, okay, if I'm squatting, I'm just going to like breathe more often than I normally would like, like inhale. And no for the people who are listening, <laughs> any squats while she, 
Yeah, I know it's a podcast, right? Okay, but still, it's being it's being able to sink that breath without being like movement is not robotic, right? So we don't want our athletes um, to have to move that slowly where they feel like this is annoying, but it is just bring a little bit more awareness to it and doesn't have to be perfect. It's just, all right, we don't really want to be bracing and breath holding. And if you can avoid that, you're already doing a lot to preserve what you can. Yeah. And another breath strategy that we talk about a lot is it, well, it's not really a breath strategy, but more like you using our relaxation breath with down training the pelvic floor. So can you explain to everybody what that means and when we use that? Yeah. So a lot of female athletes, especially have tight pelvic floors that can be referred to as a, a hypertonic pelvic floor where we just hold tension there. And most of us are high tension humans. We hold tension in our traps, in our jaw. Um, we squeeze glutes. If you are a glute squeezer, then you're definitely also squeezing that pelvic floor. And it's going to be really important for you to learn how to relax those muscles, especially if you know that you're going to be um, giving birth soon. You want your pelvic floor to be able to relax and not just like hold tension through contractions. It's being able to like breathe through, let the pelvic floor lengthen. So one thing you can do is lay on your back. You can elevate your butt, like put a pillow under your butt, feet up on the wall, for example. Um, and just like, you want to think about breathing into your holes. And I know that's like a really weird <laughs> cue, but it freaking works. Okay. Um, so you can do this on all fours, or you can do this with your feet elevated again, up against a wall or on a couch or something like that. Um, and you can just put your hands on your lower abdomen and just think about like breathing literally like into your holes and not pushing just like slowly inhaling and like feeling the tension, let go in your butt and your vagina, because you probably don't realize how much tension you just naturally hold there when you're standing, when you're talking, when you're sitting, whatever it might be. If you've been, if you're wearing a tight shirt and you're just used to sucking in your stomach all day, if you suck in your stomach really hard right now, just go ahead and stand up if you can, if you're listening to this in a place where you can, if you suck in your stomach really hard, I want you to pay attention to what your butt does. Your butt also kind of clenches and that holds a lot of tension there. So it's good to, after you exercise, or part of your prehab to just work on letting some of that tension go, bringing some awareness to that, especially after a workout where you're really tired and those muscles are fatigued, you train like a lot of glutes or legs or something like that, then you're going to want to downtrain that system. And I have a really good reel on my Instagram page. If you just go look at my reels, I think it says like the title is like glute grippy or something. And I show exactly how I do this. And I like the all fours position, but you know, if that one doesn't work for you, what Brie mentioned on your back is another great one. Yeah, I like, I definitely like the all fours position too, especially if you're really pregnant, getting on your back is not always easy, but getting down uh, in all fours tends to work for most things. <laughs> well, and I think it's a little easier to do like, just as you're relaxing, you can literally like see your belly, like dropping mm. down towards the ground. So right. just, I don't know if anything, it's just weird as hell to watch. <laughs> yeah. And then you can adjust your butt position too. Like you might need to put your butt up more or more neutral or whatever it might be. Um, just to feel like you're really able to relax and open that part of your body. Again, weird, but hey, this is the stuff that you're not going to be told at your doctor's office, probably. So that's what we're here yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference, especially as in that third trimester, for sure. Yes. Um, what else, Heather? You're on a roll. Let's talk a little bit about pubic synthesis because we get this question a lot. I think many of us have dealt with this. So first of all, tell everybody what pubic synthesis pain is and then what we should do about it. Well, 
honestly, it, it's pain in your pubic bone and it can feel like sharp, stabby, like, and it's really hard when you are in like a transitional kind of movement. So a lunge, a step up, getting in and out of your bathtub, getting in and out of your car, it can be like, like out, it like stops you in your tracks. I had that the last few weeks of pregnancy with chance giant freaking baby. And I felt like the bigger he got lower, he got, it's just that hurt. Like my husband had to like shove my butt into bed because I could not do it. It was quite a scene. Um, stuck in your bathtub. I also got stuck in my bathtub. (laughs) For reference, I am five, three and I grow very large babies. So chance was a 10 pounder and I had him at 39 weeks, uh, via C-section and, um, the last few weeks, I just, I couldn't even get out of the bathtub by myself. And I got stuck in there at the very end of pregnancy. I just, I couldn't, I just could not get out. And I was like, wow, I'm such an athlete. I've worked out this whole pregnancy, but here I am like just a dead bug, just stuck there on my back. And I couldn't, couldn't get out of the bathtub. So I can just imagine you being like, Jared, and helpless. <laughs> yeah. Oh True story. God. This is a good time. It does. And it can be really debilitating. It can happen at all different points in pregnancy. Some people get it really early on. There's different support, like belts that you can wear, which I know aren't super fun, but they can provide a lot of help and almost like compression to the pelvic floor. Um, exhaling and like giving yourself that little tiny bit of pelvic floor support when you are having a transition, say you're getting into your car, it's like an inhale and then exhale. Now I'm going to step up into the car. Um, that can help too. And then knowing when it comes to exercise, like not doing movements that are going to aggravate that. So that means no more walking lunges or step ups or running and things like that, where there's transitional single leg kind of movements. You don't really want to do that. And honestly, in the, um, the pregnant athlete training program, we reduce a lot of that stuff anyway, in the third trimester, because we don't want to aggravate that with some of those movements. And we're just so susceptible for that as the body changes um, and accommodates more space for the baby. There's a lot of extra pressure and strain on the pubic bone as it is. And how long would you say that it takes for that to get better postpartum? Do people see like an immediate? Some do and some lingers. And sometimes (laughs) to this day, when I snowboard, and I, and I unclip and I'm having to like skate with it. I'll still get like a little like zing where I'm like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So, um, but that's very rare. I don't feel it any other time. So for some people it lingers others, it goes away right away. I think for me, it went away right away postpartum, but that's definitely one of those. It depends. Yeah. And for me, I think it took, it took a while. Yeah. It wasn't all the time. And it was like, I could do walking lunges, but I could load, like loading them bothered me, but then I could load them at 35 pounds, but no more, you know? So I think it, it obviously improves over time. Absolutely. Well, here's, here's the thing. There is so much that we could talk about when it comes to training during pregnancy, but we really like our athletes when in doubt, like check in on the psychology of your experience, how you're feeling in terms of what you're doing, your choices, that athlete brain, um, your motivations behind that, your belief systems, all of these different things get so exposed during pregnancy. Um, The physiology, there are changes happening to your body. Maybe you feel sick. Maybe you're really tired. 
maybe you have a pretty significant diastasis, maybe your pelvic organ pro uh, prolapse, like maybe some of those symptoms are aggravated, maybe you're leaking, maybe you feel like you have to pee all the time. There are so many different physiological changes happening to your body. And then long-term athletic performance. What do you want to do? Not just right now in pregnancy, but ultimately, what do you want to do postpartum as an athlete? What do you want your quality of life to look like? What do you want? What is important to you in terms of exercise and health and wellness? Not right now in the moment, but long-term and being able to look at that performance lens of not what can I do right this second, not what feels good right now, but also does this complement what I want long-term and being able to have that conversation. And again, that kind of links back to the psychology part of this. And they're all so intertwined. This is what we teach extensively in the pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaching certification. A lot of people who become PNPA coaches do so because of their own experiences during pregnancy or because they're like, wait, now I am this person. I didn't really care about this population before, but like now I am this. And I realize there are so much, there's just so much to know, so much to learn and so much that can be done to better support women in different gyms and different communities, both locally and online. If that is something that you feel called to do, if that's something you feel interested in learning more about, again, whether it's for yourself or for people that you're already coaching, people that you're working with, we have coaches all over the world and practitioners all over the world that have been certified to work with this population. And enrollment for the coach course is happening in October. I would love for you to get on the wait list now because then you're going to be able to save a lot on that. Heather, do you have anything to say about this mismarketing? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think, let me just say my personal story here. Like I took the coach course, that's how I met you because I wanted to figure out my own body. I was coaching and training other people at the time. And pre that, I thought I was doing like a great job. And then I had through my own experience. And I was like, oh, I was kind of missing and overlooking some of these like elements of take, like of coaching my postpartum and my pregnant moms. And like even my moms that were postpartum, like seven years postpartum that were still having issues. And so like I started with myself, which helped me a lot there. And then it just like opened my eyes to, to how to approach coaching women in general from a much different lens or a broader lens. So yeah, it's available in October and there will be like a pretty big discount for anyone who's on the wait list. So we'll make sure that we drop that in the show notes. Absolutely. Heather, thanks for sharing your time with us today and all the programs and resources and things that we've talked about in this episode will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If this resonated with you, I would also love for you to review the podcast because this is what gets this information out to so many more people. So thank you so much for your time and for listening. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. 
from there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.